Reading from John, chapter 18, verses 12 to 27. Jesus before the high priest. So the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Peter denies Jesus. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. The high priest questions Jesus. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, if I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Peter denies Jesus again. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, the cock crowed. In our chaotic and violent world, where we are concerned for the future, where war, pestilence and famine threaten. It seems a tough time to be starting out in life. During this week, there was the image from Ukraine of the pushchairs, devoid of the children as a reminder of the cost of war. Opposite to that was the image of the newborn Ukrainians coming up from the shelters where they were born. We have been faced with the consequences of human action 
but in action. Just to bring some good news, this week we had our seventh grandchild, a little boy named Luan. It's an Albanian name that means lion. Now it's really strange because his brother's name is Leotrim, which doesn't mean lion whatsoever. <laughs> um, that means strong and powerful. And as I was looking at the passage for this morning, I was uh, challenged by some of the names that we have in the passage. There's Malchus and there's Annas and there's Peter. These names we know, these names we, we roll off our tongue regularly. Yeshua, Jesus. Yeah. And I was just thinking about them and thinking, they are a bit strange. We'll talk about that in a little while. But I want to ask you, what does your name mean? What does your name mean? Now, um, I'm going to say to you, my name, Nigel Andrew, means strong and mighty warrior, as you can see. Yeah? Yeah? You can all see that. Yeah? And uh, my surname, Williams, is son of William. My father's name was Thomas. So, you know, I'm, uh, you know I'm, I'm a bit weird. But I was asked, I want to ask you, what, what does your name mean? Come on, you can tell me. I like it when you interact because you look as if you're sleeping. Nigel doesn't have to say because Nigel knows his now. <laughs> Come on, you, go on, Jean. Gift of God. Do you think so? Yes? Yes, good. David's beloved, yeah? I won't ask you. <laughs> Free man. Right. I thought Tim was going to go as well. Grace. Yeah. Anybody else? Timothy is honoring God. Margaret is poor. Now, yes, of course, yes. There was there are four names in the uh, in the press this week. Is uh, Mr. Boris Johnson? His name means wolf. I'm not going to make any more comments about that. Um, Vladimir could be a leader of peace, or Vladimir could be a ruthless leader. Which one do you want? And then Joseph for Joe Biden, God will give. As I said, this passage has four characters. Characters we know about, we use, we, we, we're familiar with. So if I was to ask you, what does Peter mean? Can you tell me what that means? Rock. Yeah, you know, you've heard that time and time and time again. Uh, Yeshua, Jesus. Saviour, yeah, know that one. Uh, the next two, Annas. Any idea what Annas means? 
merciful and just. <laughs> Interesting, yeah? And Malchus, who was the slave, my king and my counselor. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking how these seem to be misnomers in this, in this passage that we have been reading. The gospel writer spends more time telling us about the last three to four days of Jesus' earthly life and ministry, encouraging us to read and to realize that the previous 30-ish years of Jesus' life were a precursor for the Easter event. John spends lots of time saying what happened between Thursday and Sunday. That's the important message for the Gospel of John. We know that the stated aim of the Gospel was that the world might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and in believing have life. So the whole importance of the last couple of chapters is that we might have life and have it in all its fullness. Our lectionary for today is sort of jumping back and forth. We have, uh, we're now doing the arrest and we haven't done the arrest but we're doing the judgment of Annas and we haven't heard yet about Jesus' arrest, the Garden of Gethsemane, communion, all those things. So the, the lecture has gone, whoop, here we go and now I know why Simon's gone on holidays. <laughs> But we pick up the reading where Jesus is bound and as an active, willing prisoner, he's led to the house of Annas, to the high priest's house. Well, he wasn't the high priest. Caiaphas was the high priest. This is, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Caiaphas was the high priest, but he was led, first of all, to Annas's, to merciful and just Annas. That's where he was led. Annas had been the high priest and was the one that, according to Deuteronomy law, should have been the high priest because he was still alive. But he had upset the Roman governor. He had done something wrong, so he was deposed. But not to lose power, his four sons and now his son-in-law all served as the high priest in the temple in Jerusalem. He was a man of great power, great influence and looking after himself. There is a verse in the Talmud which says, Woe to the house of Annas, woe to the serpent's hiss. They are high priests, their sons are keepers of the treasury and their son-in-laws are guardians of the temple and their servants be people with staves. Not a nice, cozy priest to cuddle up to, is it? Not someone who is going to be just and fair and merciful. Not someone who you want to stand in front of who has the power to protect himself. This was not a legitimate trial. 
the Deuteronomic law says that you can't have a trial the day before a Sabbath or a feast because you can't pronounce a judgment you're not allowed to do it so this was not a real trial this was a fake trial we know from John's gospel and John's words that Caiaphas had already announced that Jesus was going to die here was the man bound before the just and merciful Annas with a conviction notice already dried waiting for the signature at the, at the bottom and when Annas does question Jesus he questions him not about who he is and what he's done but about his disciples wanting to know if there was a possible problem with an uprising wanting to know if there was going to be more chance of him losing his job and losing his influence he was willing to do whatever it takes to keep his power and his authority merciful and just I don't think so The other disciple who had a relationship with the high priest, there's lots of speculation. There was one interesting one that um, John's father Zebedee, you know, he was a fisherman, do you remember that? Yeah? That they knew how to get into the priest's house because they used to provide fish for the high priests. And going, yeah, okay. We don't need to know. It could have been that he had friends who were servants. Didn't have to have high and powerful friends. He could have just had friends who were servants. But he invites Peter into the courtyard, into this place of power and corruption. And Peter is there, and as he's walking through the door, the girl at the door says to him, are you one of these, his followers? Are you one of his followers? That's how she said it, exactly like that. And he goes, no, 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 no just a dismissal just a complete dismissal he's hanging around in the in the shadows he moves forward as the night grows on and grows colder and then he's asked again are you sure you're not one of this man's disciples no I'm not a couple of minutes later I saw you in the garden I saw what you did to Malchus. I saw it. No, no, you didn't. And according to Matthew, it gets a bit more colorful than that. Not very rock solid, is it? And then we have Yeshua, Jesus. The man who had been ministering openly, teaching openly, healing, raising the dead. Here, bound, arrested, under the authority of the high priest, questioned as a common criminal, 
but worse, without due process. Jesus is not as meek as we think he is in this situation, because the way he speaks to Annas arises a, a slap across the chops, a quick slap from this police officer, from the soldier, because he challenges the legitimacy of that courtroom. He challenges the fact that there are no witnesses. He challenges and he's told to be quiet. He has lost all power or theologically he's given all power up. Not much of a saviour. Or was he? As Christians, we have interpreted his ministry and his death through the words of Isaiah's suffering servant. By perversion of justice was he taken away. Who could have imagined his future? By the perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who can imagine his future? This not much of a saviour was doing what he had to do. He was suffering that we might have life. He was going the way that God had planned for him. He was moving towards the ultimate goal of his Easter event, his death and his resurrection. Uh, spoiler alert. In the next couple of weeks, he raises up, you know, just in case we don't get that. You know, we, you know, he's alive. And we are a people of new hope, of new living, of a new forgiveness, and of a new restoration. We know what happened to Peter, don't we? We know that Jesus reinstated him, his failings, his faults, his problems, and Jesus reinstates him. We know that Jesus is risen beyond, be, risen to life and has ascended into heaven. We know there is a, uh, a, a, a thought that Malchus was named in John's gospel because Malchus became a Christian, you know, a follower of the way. And because John knew him, he put his name in to keep him going forever and ever. We know this and we know we are called to be different in our world. When we look at our world, when we see our world, when we're challenged by our world, when we are asked, are we Christians? How do we behave? How do we respond? When we need to do things that are right and just. Do we do them? Let's be followers of Jesus. Who for our sake took on flesh and died. Let's be quiet before God.
Let's all come to God in prayer. Lord God, creator of the earth, redeemer of humanity, sustainer of all life, we come before you now in worship and in praise. We marvel that we can bring the concerns of our hearts to so great a God, and yet as we do so, we remember the meek and kind example of Jesus Christ, taking the form of a man, our God intervening in the affairs of this earth, bringing your people to yourself. We look around the world today and we confess our concern and alarm at what is going on. War rages in the Ukraine, in Afghanistan, in Myanmar, in the Yemen, in Tigray. The COVID pandemic continues and deaths occur, especially in countries where vaccines are not widely available. Even in this day and age, people are dying of starvation, are kept in crushing poverty, are imprisoned without cause, and some even die for their beliefs. Sometimes it seems that injustice, violence, intolerance and greed have the upper hand. We pray our God that your peace will inhabit this world. Turn the hearts of those who seek to kill and to steal. Aid the spread of vaccines and treatments against all disease. Trouble the consciences of those of us who withhold these things or make them unaffordable. The psalmist tells us that the heart of the king is in your hands. And we pray that all who have power would remember you a source of ultimate power, that they would seek to discharge their power justly and humanely, bringing good to those they govern, taking care over their use of words and recognising their own limits. Especially we pray, bring peace to Ukraine at this time. May negotiators find a fair way ahead May the nations watching act with wisdom, justice and fairness. In our own nation we are largely protected from the worst of these things and we thank you for the freedoms we do have, the freedom we have to worship you without fear, openly, the freedom to go about our daily lives, the comparative wealth that even the poorest amongst us has, and yet here too we see injustice. We are ashamed that in a country like ours, there are those who cannot afford to put food on their table. We grieve that although our law in writing enshrines equality for women, for all races, all religions, for all sexual orientations, for the disabled, Yet our society and institutions fall far short of these ideals. Help us to challenge these injustices, to be bold in standing up for what is right. Even more so, challenge us when we exercise injustice or enjoy its fruits, little realising that the privileges we have often come at the cost of others. Help us to remember that all are welcome at your table. 
We do not invite people to your table, for it is your table and your invitation. But it's up to us to take our feet off the chairs, to stop spreading ourselves out, and to make room for those we have jostled out. As Jesus was taken off to prison and certain death, the disciples scattered in fear. We too are fearful. Not only as we behold the great problems of the world and society and our smallness in comparison, but we are fearful too for our own lives. We live in a time of uncertainty, a time of grief and sorrow, a time when it seems harder than ever to go against the flow. Help us to remember that the Jesus who died was raised from the dead, that the sorrowful events we contemplate this Lent are eclipsed by that glorious victory over death and sin. Still our fears, calm our anxieties, give faith where there is uncertainty, comfort those who grieve and mourn, Give them a felt sense of your presence. Give us the strength to face the challenges of life, the boldness to meet the challenges of injustice, the humility to accept the challenges of others, and above all, a deep love and concern for those around us. Hear now the unspoken, secret prayers and cries of our hearts. May we indeed hide ourselves in the rock of ages. Give us peace and a deep assurance of your love. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace.